We are starting a new series uh, today. I know you guys are so excited about it that uh, you couldn't sleep last night, right? Right. Yeah, thank you. You don't even know what we're doing. I appreciate y'all are here. But we're starting a series on a book called Philippians, and we're going to be studying that uh, for the next weeks. And um, today's great because we're talking about one of my favorite topics, which is more. Uh, And that's what we're talking about today, more. Yes, please. Especially stuff that you like. More, please. So let's have Jenny come up, and she's going to read for us this opening uh, part of chapter one, Philippians. Hey, if you have your Bibles on your table and you want to use it, it's page 570, because not only have I memorized the entire Bible, I've memorized every page number two. It's true. It's what you have to do to become a preacher. Jenny, hey, welcome. Ready? Yeah. I am ready. My own? Hold that mic up there. All right. Where we can hear you. Betcha. Philippians 1, 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Lord, we pray that uh, your word now would do its work in the hands of your spirit and um, shape us, heal us, um, make us, Father, more like you. In Christ's name, amen. So this summer, I think it's happening, the Summer Olympics, is it happening? I think it's scheduled, and I have to tell you that um, I love the Olympics. Um, I do, I really enjoy getting into it, but I have to make a confession to you that I don't know anybody that's competing in the Summer Olympics this summer. Like, if you asked me to name one person, I couldn't do it. You may be able to, but like, who is the lead woman on our badminton team? Do you know? You have no idea, do you? But she knows. And what the Olympics do, and this is my favorite part of the Olympics, is there's an event coming up that maybe you never watch but four time, but once every four years. And they do the Olympic story, you know, where they, where they go back to that person's hometown and you, they tell you your story, their story. And it gets you to where you're engaged. Like you, you want to see this person now win. You want to cheer them to victory because, you know, the woman who is our hopes for badminton gold, you know, maybe was born with the inability to grab a racket. And so her mother taped her hand to a racket for the first 12 years of her life, you know, something like that. So I was kind of like, what are some good stories from the Olympics? And I came across this one this week. This is the guy, this, this is a story about a guy named Tony or Tommy Kono. Now, you may never have heard that name before, but Tommy, when he was in high school, he weighed 105 pounds. He was just this little weakling. And uh, 
But would you be surprised, well, you won't be because this is an Olympic story, that in 1952, he won the lightweight weightlifting Olympic gold. Then Tommy went on to win in 1960 the middleweight weightlifting gold medal. Then uh, he went on in, well, I've skipped one. He won three of those. He set seven Olympic records, 26 world records, plus he became Mr. Universe three times. So you go, oh, okay, great. Well, let me tell you a little story about Tommy. Tommy's parents were born in Japan. And when his parents came to the U.S., they moved to San Francisco. And when Tommy was a teenager, World War II broke out. And the U.S. started this policy where they were forcing people with Japanese origins into detention centers and keeping their, them there for the entire time of the war. It was brutal. It was social injustice. It was racial injustice. But Tommy was put in this detention camp out in the desert with his family for three and a half years. And he was so bored out there because there was nothing to do. He started to lift weights. And in lifting weights, he decided even because of the social and racial injustice, he went on to represent the U.S. and win gold for them three times. Brought to you by your Olympic story. <laughs> well, the reason I'm telling you this is because I want you to know that's what's happening right here in Philippians. That you could read that and go, oh, that's a Bible verse. But I want to take you, there's a story going on here. In fact, Paul has story with these people. Look at verse three, 3. He says, I thank God every time I remember you. And what's he remembering? Them. And what's he remembering? What happened? Then in verse 4, he says, all my prayers are for all of you. Do you hear this affection? Because he's almost grinning when he's writing this. Because he says, because of your partnership. We are partners in what God was doing in Philippi and even the world. In verse 7, he says, I have you in my heart. And then he goes on to verse 8. He says, I long for you with affection. Like he cares for these people. So what happened? Well, let me, I'm just going to do this real quick uh, because we only have two hours. So let me try to rush through this. But if you go to Acts chapter 16, we're not going to go there. You can use that for your light reading tonight if you don't like golf. And uh, the Apostle Paul and Silas traveled to Philippi, and they got there by supernatural means, dreams, Holy Spirit, Jesus stuff. And they roll into town. There's no Christians in Philippi. There's no churches in Philippi. Nobody's heard about Jesus in Philippi. Paul and Silas are there to teach people and to convert people to the faith. And so they go down to the river, and the first thing they do is they find this group of women that are praying. They're having this prayer service down by the river. And they begin to talk to these women about Jesus. And one of the women actually becomes a believer. Maybe you've heard of her. Her name's Lydia. Lydia's a pretty amazing character. She's very wealthy. She's a fashionista. Her whole business was selling this high-end purple cloth that was used for making very expensive clothing. She was the CEO of her own company. She owned her own house. There's no mention of a husband anywhere in her story. She's a strong, independent woman that actually began to have the, her home was so large, the entire church was meeting in her home. This is a woman that would have homes like in Rosemary and maybe up in Aspen. Like, this is a serious woman. So she's the first person. The second is this girl, we don't know her name. She's a slave girl. Her whole life has been trafficked. 
She, her whole life has been consumed by, by human trafficking. And if that wasn't bad enough, she also was possessed by a demon. And this demon gave her this unusual ability. I told this crazy story. It's in the Bible. She had this ability to tell the future. She was a fortune teller, and she was making tons of money for the people that were trafficking her. And when she, when she spoke in this town of Philippi, people listened. People paid to have her speak in her life. And so when Paul and Silas rolled into town, listen to what she did. She stood up in front of the crowd with all these people, and she goes, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Pretty good advertisement, isn't it? But the story tells us that she kept doing it over and over and over again. And Paul and Silas were like, man, this is awesome. Like, this has given our message some respect. People want to hear what we have to say. But it says, after three days, Paul became irritated with her. I thought, I'm serious. And turned around and cast the demon out. He goes, enough. And he cast the demon out, and she became a believer. Uh, you can't make this stuff up. So this possessed, unwanted, uncared for, trafficked woman is the second addition to the church in Philippi. And her owner was so ticked off that he got a crowd together because you just cast out the demon that was making me tons of money and had Paul and Silas thrown into prison. They beat him, threw him into prison. And maybe you've read this story. They're chained up together in prison and they're worshiping God in the middle of the night. And the angel of the Lord comes and shakes the prison. It's the kind of stuff you read the Bible. And there was a retired Roman soldier who the only job he could get was running the midnight shift in the prison. That was it. You know what you do when you run the midnight shift in the prison? Nothing. <laughs> All the prisoners are sleeping. You're not feeding anybody, moving anybody. This guy had no responsibility. He's sitting over in the corner and he's smoking his camel lights because he cares about his health. You know, don't, don't smoke the regulars. And the angels come and shake the prisons, and he goes, oh, they're all gone now. And he pulls out the sword to kill himself. He says, this is it, end of my life. And Paul stops him. He becomes a believer in his whole family. So imagine with me, what does Lydia, super CEO, and prison guard, and demon-possessed traffic girl have in common? Zero. <laughs> They're not racially the same. They're not culturally the same. Their personalities are different. Their experiences are different. Can you imagine just the experience of the jailer, jailer walking into Lydia's big old house with his kids, and Lydia goes, help yourself to the food, and they're walking over and going, we've never had that. What is that? Like, this is what was going on. And in that experience, the Olympic experience brought to you by the Bible, Paul says something to them. He goes, I'm praying for you. Let's talk about it for 15 minutes, okay? This is verse 9. This is my prayer. And this is where more comes in. Because Paul says, I know you guys. I remember you guys. Oh, the stories we got to tell. That's what he's thinking. And he goes, this is what I pray for you. That your love may abound more and more. How? In knowledge, depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern, discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, that you would be filled with the fruits of righteousness that come through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. More. So the first thing that he says is, I pray that your love may abound. It may grow. It may mature. 
that you need more of this. In fact, if, if you're new to, to church or Midtown, let me just break the news to you. The whole Bible is about that right there. And that's all of God's agenda is right there, to love God and to love others. That's the whole purpose. But the only way we ever get there is to know that we are loved by God and we experience the love of others. In fact, if, if you're new here to Midtown, let me just tell you, our, our total agenda, um, one of the reasons we don't pass a plate here at Midtown, we are so eager for you to realize that God wants nothing from you. God is coming to give you by grace and mercy everything. And so we work and we labor here at Midtown for your maturity. And when we talk about maturity here, we're not just talking about spiritual maturity that you would know what page number Philippians starts on. It's a good place to start, 570. You're almost there. But also emotional maturity. Because if you're spiritually mature, but you're emotionally immature, you, the person that lives with you, whether they're a roommate or a spouse, does not like you. But not just emotional maturity, but also relational maturity, not just relational maturity, but also social maturity. You should know who you are in this city. You should know what your gifts are in this city. You should know what you bring to the kingdom of God in this town so this town's a better place because you live in it. So it's spiritual, it's emotional, it's relational, but it's also social. And think about this. I know I'm talking fast, but stay with me. Spiritual maturity is really at its root is me knowing that I'm loved by God and I'm grasping that love so that I'm filled to the very fullness of God. Ephesians talks about that. Emotional maturity is me having the courage to know me and to love me. It's a big part of our journey is to love ourselves, to accept ourselves, that shame doesn't get the final word about who we are and what's going on up here actually flows out of what's going on in here. But relational maturity, guess what it is? It's about me learning how to love you. And maybe for some of you, it's even more difficult because you have to learn the other way too, learning how to be loved by you in community, in relationships, in marriage, in friendships, parenting relationships, whether it's with your parents or you're a parent with your kids. And then social maturity is learning how to love this city. Everything is about our love abounding. In fact, if you've got marriage problems here today, it's because somewhere along the line, love is not abounding. I mean, think about the racial issues that we've got in this city. Love has not abounded. The political divisions, love is not abounding. Or personal issues with your own life or your own struggles with you when you look in the mirror or with your family. So Paul is praying that it would abound. So how does it do that? <clears throat> so we're going to talk about how love can abound in your life, and then I'm going to challenge you uh, to go on a journey with me for the next eight weeks. So just hang on. Okay, if you didn't sleep last night, just stay with me, all right? The first thing he says is, is add to your abounding love knowledge. And what he's saying is that you need to know about love. And we all kind of have some idea of what love is. I mean, you know, we've all read, you know, novels. We've seen movies. We've heard the songs. I want to know what love is. Uh, we all have kind of, but what if, what if your idea of love is wrong? I was at a four-year-old soccer match yesterday. And calling it a soccer match is really kind of generous, all right? <clears throat> it was eight four-year-olds running around the field, half of them crying, wanting a snack, the other half, it was raining. It was 
wonderfully glorious because I wasn't the parent of any of them. And here's what's crazy is that, uh, and I swear, did this happen? A kid kicked it in the goal, like one of them scored. So you have <clears throat> the opposing team's parents over here, that kid's team's parents over here, but both sides of the sidelines cheered. I know, like, you scored against my kid. Way to go. Because all the parents are just encouraging. And it's sweet, and it's nice, and it's kind, and you start to believe that's what love is. Well, I'm going to tell you, at four, that's what love is. At 40, that's not what love is. When you get 40, if your expectation is the world is here to cheer me on whether I succeed or fail, at 40, if you think what love is, is that you're here to help me feel good about myself and to succeed. If you start to believe that love in marriage is about this other person making me happy and filling up my cup, then you have a really broken sense of what love is. But when we take that into God, then we start to say to God, God, if you love me, this is how I'm defining love, if you love me, you're going to give me the job I want. Why didn't I get the job I wanted? Don't you love me? Or you're going to make my relationship the way I want it to go. Don't you love me? Or that I'm never going to suffer. I'm always going to be healthy. I'll never struggle with my... God! It worked what I was for. Okay, so here is, I, I want to undo, destruct, to construct. What is love? If, if you have your Bible open, turn a page to Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, because it gives us a scary picture of love. And here's the scary picture. This is talking about Jesus. It says in verse 6, who being in the very nature of God, that Jesus was God, did not grasp, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now think about this. Who, who in the Bible considered equality with God something to get their hands on? It was Adam. Adam wanted to be like God. Now there's a new Adam on the scene, and this new Adam isn't ascending to to take his advantage as equality with God, but actually is putting it down. It says in verse 7, rather he made himself nothing, but taking the very nature of a servant. He became nothing. Underline that word. And became a servant. Underline that word. Being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. That Jesus came with one purpose in mind, and it was you, to give his life for yours so that his life could live through you. Let me translate that. Jesus gave his life for the world. That's love. And he is calling us who know him to give our lives for the world. That's love. Do you know the scripture says some crazy things? that love is about us giving ourselves away, considering others better than ourselves. Do you know that in Scripture it says that a mark of the church should be that we love our neighbors like we love ourselves? Are you kidding me? That's a radical idea for love. It talks about things like when somebody asks you for your shirt, also give them your jacket. 
It talks about when somebody asks you to go a mile, go two. It talks about a love that is putting yourself down to pick someone else up. See, if you've ever read the Bible Project, one of the guys who started the Bible Project said something this week that just struck me. He said that Jesus came to get the hell out of you so that he could move into you. And one of the things that Jesus is doing is he's working the unloving hell out of me so that now I can reflect him, his life that is in me. So we know. We want to know that love. And here's what we do in the church. And if you're new to church, let me let you in on one of our dirty little secrets. Here's what we do. We hear that up here, and we're like the teenager that hears a song about love and goes, oh, yeah, I know love. I'm ready for a relationship. Hey, that's no diss on teenagers. It's real love, all right? But here's what we do. We take our no, and we go straight to do. Got to do something with that. We go from no to do. And here's the danger of when we do this, is that when we go from no to do, we're bypassing something that's very real. And it's the second. He didn't say just no. He also said depth of insight. And what is that? That's me. That love isn't just something that I know a lot of facts about, like I just read from you in Philippians chapter 2. Depth of insight is, is I also experience that love, that it's something that I have intimate knowledge with. See, if I, if I go from no to do, then it hijacks an important part of what God is trying to do in my life. See, every one of us, every, there's, there's nobody in here that doesn't long to belong. Everybody was, is born with a longing to be loved. All of us are longing to be accepted. All of us want peace, joy, hope, and life to the full. We all want it. I don't care who you are. And I don't care what God you worship. We all long for those things. But when I do before I experience, here's what I demand my do to give me those things now. I demand my do to give me belonging, to give me love, to give me acceptance, to give me peace, joy. You remember that first A you got in like third grade? And when the teacher came and, and displayed it on your desk and it was an A plus and everybody's looking over going, oh, that feels so good. Or when that deal came through that you've been working on for some, that feels so good. Do, we can try to demand from do to give us what do can never do. That was kind of clever, wasn't it? <laughs> success in work or success in parenting, boy, that's a wild card right there, isn't it? What does that mean? We all have an idea. Success in marriage, you have an idea, or your cause, you have an idea. These things will make me significant. These things will make me loved. These things will make me feel like I belong. I'll get admired. These things will give me joy. It's the way of the world. And this is why we, we have nothing to do with ourselves because we're so busy doing. If I can just wrap my life around getting busy, we become addicted to this. It's like snorting the cocaine of dew. Man, I'm just going to stay busy all the time. I can never stop. Got to go, 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 go. I was in the grocery store the other day. I was at Whole Foods, which they're aware people there, right? It's, they're, they're there. And I'm standing in line in the self-checkout, and there's like 100 people standing in line. It was Saturday. 
everybody was on their phone, like everybody. And that doesn't surprise you. We can't even stop doing even when we've got nothing to do. We're just addicted to constantly being. And what happens when we get so distracted with our lives and we're always busy and we never stop and we're always going, then it becomes a very dangerous thing because we miss the importance of the radical call of Jesus' love, which is you. See, you know what depth of insight is? It's depth of insight in you. It's self-awareness. It's deciding that I'm going to be before I ever do. So that when I come in to do, I'm coming in as someone who is loved. I've been with Jesus. And I take the depth of me being aware of myself and aware with Jesus with me into my doing so that I don't demand do to define myself. Myself is already defined, and I take it into my life of doing. Are y'all tracking with me? Have I lost you? You know, um, maybe you've never heard the term desert fathers. This was early in Christianity. There was a group of followers of Christ that we called the desert fathers that believed so much in being that they went out to the desert and they practiced silence and solitude and stillness. They practiced being with Jesus. They didn't want to just know intellectually about God and his love. They wanted experientially to be with Jesus and they practiced silence and solitude and stillness to be with Jesus. And here's what they discovered is I can never invite Jesus into my grief unless I get still enough to realize that I'm grieving. That I can never call Jesus and experience him in my fear if I never stop long enough to be aware of the fact that I'm afraid. Like I can never experience Jesus who wants to meet the real me if I have no interest in the real me. If I'm so busy, I'm so distracted doing that I have no time for me and silence terrifies me, then don't be surprised if your Christianity is just this intellectual knowledge and this overbearing burden to do something for God so that you can prove to him you appreciate what he did for you on the cross. And love and what Paul is praying for this community is that you would know yourself and deep insight and you would know him too. So last week, I was in a meeting with one of our pastors, and we were working on a project together, and uh, it was one of those meetings, if, I don't know if you've ever been in one of these meetings, where you, I started to say something, and it, it all of a sudden, it felt like a sharp elbow in the room. Have you ever been that? Like, whoa, what just happened? It just like, wait a minute, are you defensive? And then I got defensive? Or maybe I got defensive first, and then he got defensive. I don't know, but man, this meeting, which is among two guys that love each other, started just to spiral like the toilet bowl, you know? And I'm like, what is happening here? And I stopped and said, okay, what, what is going on with me? And realized that I felt like there was 100 pounds on my shoulders. And I actually said internally, oh, I know this feeling because I've been with myself before. And Jesus has been with me in that place before. You know what it was? Sadness. 
because we're losing something here. We're losing our ability to communicate with one another and love one another. And I said, stop, 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 stop. And we stopped and I said, hey, will you just be with me right now? And he goes, well, what do you mean? I said, I'm just really sad right now. I'm feeling sad. And I, I, I'm just sad that we've lost something. I forget what we're talking about. Will you be with me right now as my friend? And he said, you're ridiculous. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> he goes, oh, yeah, tell me about it because he's a good man. And I said, okay, and I told him about it. And I told him about me. Forget the thing that we were working on. Forget the doing. I said, will you see me? And he loves Jesus, and he goes, yes, I will see you. And you know what happened to this right here? You probably could figure it out. That became so easy. As soon as he saw me and I said, hey, man, can we do this? Can we love each other from this place? Yes. This became so unimportant because this became primary, but then it made this easy. So the last part of this, and I'm almost done. He says, knowledge, self-awareness, so that you can have discernment for the fruits of righteousness. And you know what discernment is? Guys, there are so many things coming to your life right now that are saying, love me, love me, love me. Give me your time. Give me energy. Give it, give it, give it, give it, give it. It's like whack-a-mole. You know, we're just trying to hit everything. Stop. You can't hit everything. Stop. Know, experience, and then from that, have discernment about what to do. You don't have to hit all the whack-a-moles. You may just have to hit just one. Just one. <laughs> have you ever helped a 13-year-old with algebra? And they've had a hard day? <laughs> Amen. That last part's really important, all right? Trust me. If you say, we're not going to deal with you, we're just going to get this done, you'll be doing this till midnight. <laughs> Amen? All right. But if you stop and say, I see you, and I love you because I have the discernment to know that you're more important than the algebra project. That's discernment. So that when I love you, this task becomes a joy rather than the thing that crushes me. And I become its whack-a-mole. So if there's anything about what I've said today, hopefully it's, you know, the word of the Lord is teaching us. Here, here's what I'd like to challenge you to do. So we're doing this, this uh, book of Philippians for the next eight weeks. We've created a guide. We've created a guide that would help you stop, know, and be still. Be silent and experience solitude with Jesus and know his love for you as you go and do your life. So we've created a guide that allows you Monday through Friday to stop and to be still with the Lord and to guide you through that process. These are in the back, but um, we're not trying to get you to do something. We're trying to get you to experience something. And here's what I'd like to encourage you to do. Would you consider that? Would you consider going, okay, today I'm going I'm to make a choice to slow down and my love needs to abound because I want my life to abound with love. I just want it to be rich with love in my relationships and with myself and with God. And I want to learn more about this love, 
And I also want to experience myself with Jesus in that love as I go and do my life. Would you consider doing that? It's a really simple guideline. It starts with silence. It's asking you to be silent for a couple of minutes. Then it has a reading in there. It has a short little one-paragraph devotional to help you kind of think about what you just read. And then a few questions to help you engage with yourself and room for notes and for prayers on the other page. Our team did a phenomenal job putting this together for you and saying as we're coming out of COVID, hopefully, that we now can come into something deep and profound for our lives. Would you consider that? If you don't have one of these, you can get one on the table on, on the way back uh, as you exit the building. But we're about to worship. And I hope that you realize I'm not calling you to do something. I'm calling you and challenging you to experience something. And we can do that right now because we're about to worship. We're about to come before the Lord and bring ourselves to him. So I'm going to pause, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to just pray a slow prayer for a minute. And that slow prayer is to give you a chance to ask yourself, where am I at right now? And just practice being with yourself. And then when we sing, we're going to ask Jesus to be with us. Father, how great is your love that in 1 John he would be so bold as to say that is your name. You are love. How shallow is our love and how shallow is our knowledge of your love? Would you, would you let us experience it right now and taste it? Let us start this morning, Lord, by just being honest with ourselves and with you about where we are. Sweet Jesus, come and be with us.